Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. Well, good morning. I'm so happy to have all of you back in the room, and it's great to have those of you who are watching online. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for sharing the services. We say that every week, and we mean it because we've seen so many people whose lives have been impacted because someone took a moment to share a service. We have people watching last service from New Zealand and Germany and literally around the world who are uh, connected with someone who has been impacted through the ministry of our church. So don't underestimate how sharing a service might impact someone's life at a moment when they're desperately looking for some answers and some encouragement. So thanks for doing that. This series, What's Next, really is designed to reorient our church as we go into a, a new year to what is next for us. And I wanna talk to you through this series about what I believe are the fundamentals, are the basics of what a church, particularly our church, should be doing. And any time a church moves away from the fundamentals, when they move away from the basics of what God has designed them to do, they get into trouble. And so I wanna make sure that our church is anchored to the rock, even though we're geared to the times. So we wanna make sure we're doing the basics right. And this morning I wanna talk about the most fundamental basic that a church needs to be involved in, and that's loving God, loving others. So if I had a title, I would title our message, Renewing Our Love. As we go into a new year, I'm gonna talk about the significance of that, of having the right heart, having a heart directed toward God, having the heart directed toward our, toward our neighbor. I read uh, years ago where the Green Bay Packers just got hammered in a, in a game. I, well, let me rephrase that. They got beaten in a game. Hammered has a different connotation, I understand. Uh, they got beaten in a game, and so uh, some of you caught slow roll there. Some of you caught that. But it's the idea that uh, after they got beaten so bad in the game that they went into the, the locker room and um, Vince Lombardi was there, and he was trying to tell them why they got beat this bad. And he held up a football, and he said, gentlemen, this is a football. And then he began to say, we got beat because we didn't block, we didn't tackle, we didn't do the fundamentals of the game. When I read that, I thought so many times churches are not effective because they've moved away from the fundamentals of the game. And again, I circle back to what I wanna talk about, and that is the most fundamental thing a church is to be about is our love for God and our love for one another. And when you move away from that, it doesn't matter all the great things you do as a church, it doesn't matter all the wonderful impact you may make in the community, when you move away from the fundamental foundational basis of the church is to be a place where God is loved and where the neighbors are loved, then you're missing the point. And I'm convinced this morning we're not pleasing to God if that becomes a characteristic of our church. So we wanna be a church that is constantly, consistently, continuously renewing our love for our savior. Let me show you how important that is. When Jesus was talking about this in Matthew 22, he was answering the question of an attorney who was trying to trip him up. And the attorney basically was saying, with all the commands in the Bible, what is the greatest of all the commands? And Jesus said this, here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He was saying the thing that a Christ follower, someone connected to the creator, someone involved in the life of a church, the thing that should mark us is our love for the Lord. 
and we should love God passionately. We should pursue him consistently. You love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then he said, the second is, is like unto this, this command, uh, verse 39, love your neighbor as yourself. Now look, I'm convinced this morning that one affects the other. I'm convinced this morning that the way you love your neighbor is when you love your God. And I think that if a church moves away from that emphasis on loving each other and loving people who do not yet know God, it is an indication that our love for God isn't where it ought to be. You see, when you love God as you should, you'll love others as you ought. When you look at the 10 commandments that God gave to Moses, you remember half of those commands are related to how we relate to God. The other half of those commands are related to how we relate to one another. And the point is that if I loved God, I would never violate a command directed toward him. And if I loved my neighbor, I would never violate a command directed toward them. So do you see the significance and the power and the importance of this thing called love in having our heart in the right relationship to our heavenly father? So when you love God passionately, when you love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, the natural byproduct of that is you'll love your neighbor. So put that in context of a church. When a church collectively is committed to loving God and pursuing him passionately, the natural result of that love and that passionate pursuit of that fellowship with their heavenly father is we will naturally love our neighbor as ourselves. The evangelism part of it takes care of itself. I mean, if I love God, then I naturally want to see other people connected with him. When I love God, I naturally want to help people who are hurting and do what I can to help someone who is struggling. So this is, this is a very significant thing. In fact, Jesus said in John 13, 35, that it is one of the ways whereby you can tell a church is genuine. He said in John 13, 35, by this will all people know you are my disciples. Here's how they know if you love one another. In other words, what validates a church is how a church treats people. What validates a church is how a church loves one another. And Jesus said, when you get that right, when you get that right, it will validate your ministry. It is a, a seal of approval from heaven saying, this is a body of people that I am endorsing. They are doing this right. Now I understand some people are harder to love than others. You have that experience? And I can help you with that a little bit because I found a loophole in this. Actually, it doesn't say you have to like everybody. It says you have to love everybody. So that's a little, that might help a brother. It's the idea that you can love some people you don't like. And I found in my life, this works for me. I'll share this with you. It's free like the rest of it. It's this idea that some people you go through and you meet and you encounter in life, here's how you have to pray. Lord, love them through me. I have trouble loving them, so love them through me. God, this is something that I need your help with. In fact, guys, I believe this is something that is so significant, but it is something that is not natural. It's not natural to love everyone equally. We love people we know. We love people who are like us, and the more like us they are, we, we say they're, they're brilliant because they're just like us. They think like us. They're smart. And all of a sudden, when you encounter someone who isn't like you, who doesn't think like you, then all of a sudden, you know, you, they're harder to love, right? They're not like me. They're not like us. I'm just saying that's how we're wired. I get that. So wh what I'm talking about this morning is not really natural. It's supernatural. This type of love, this type of love that I'm talking about has, has to be, first of all, experienced before it can be expressed. 
If you've never experienced the love of God, which by the way, uh, is accepting, is forgiving, uh, is, is uh, welcoming and inviting, if you've never experienced that kind of love, it's hard to express it. I've told you before, you can't give what you don't have any more than you come from where you've not been. So this is something that you have to first of all encounter. This love of God is something you first of all have to experience. You have to embrace this love and then God can supernaturally give you the ability to express that love. So as a church, one of the basics, what's next? One of the basics that we wanna do is reorient ourselves and commit ourselves to renewing our love. Let me give you a way to check yourself on this. If you can remember a time in your life when you loved God more, or you were more passionate in your pursuit of him more than you are at this moment, then something's changed. And what I'm talking about is something that happens to all of us. It's something that doesn't happen overnight, by the way. It's a gradual, it's, it's like a relationship. I mean, a, a, couple don't, a couple doesn't just split up overnight. It is a gradual drift. And that happens with our relationship with God. It doesn't happen all overnight. It, it, the heart starts, slowly starts cooling down and the passion slowly starts going away. And before you know it, you, you don't realize how far apart. Though you're in a relationship, you're way out of fellowship. And if that's true in our relationships with one another, and it's certainly true in our relationship with God, you can be in a relationship with God and say, I believe the Bible, I believe in church. I wouldn't be here this morning. I wouldn't be watching if I didn't. I believe all that and yet you're not in fellowship with him. You can remember a time when your heart was more passionate in your pursuit of him. You can remember a time when you really enjoyed getting into his word and you enjoyed the time you spent in prayer and, and your, your, your natural instinct was to do something for someone who was going through a difficult experience and now you, you found, find yourself not where you used to be. That's okay because you can't fix what you're not aware of is a problem. So I'm not hating on anybody, I'm just saying you have to evaluate where you are if we're gonna fix this and you're gonna really get in the same rhythm with me when I talk about the need to renew our love. So once that's fixed, the relationship that I have with other people can get fixed and God can, through his supernatural power at work with the presence of his Holy Spirit, he can love people through me. Now let me give you an example of how this works and we'll go. It's in the character of Simon Peter. It's a wonderful example. How Simon Peter encountered Christ and it changed everything else about his life. And when a person encounters Christ and a person really connects with their creator, it does change everything about their life. I've seen people respond differently when they've received Christ. I've seen people cry. I've seen people so overwhelmed with God's forgiveness and feeling the weight of the world lifted off of them. And I've seen people when they've humbled their heart and they've invited Christ into their life, I've, just, I've seen them weep. I've seen other people laugh. I've just said, man, I'm just so full of joy in this moment. This is amazing. I've never felt this good before. I mean, to know that my name is written in heaven and to know one day I'm gonna see my loved ones again. And I've seen, I've seen both extremes. I've seen weeping on one end, rejoicing on, and then I've seen some just kind of flatline, you know, just like not much response at all. But I'm just suggesting to you that everyone who's encountered Christ, if you stop and think about it, can remember the moment that you met him and with meeting Jesus, there was this new excitement. There was a new excitement. 
There was something that came into your life that overwhelmed you. It was something that you'd never experienced before. It was fresh, it was new, it was incredible. Whether you just flatlined, whether you laughed or you cried, you probably can remember the moment that you received Jesus. You probably can remember a time when you recognize the fact that he's forgiven your sins, he's written your name in heaven, he's going to be with you, his spirit will reside in you, and you never go through life alone. It's exciting. I was pretty young when I gave my heart to Christ. My dad was a pastor, so I spent a lot of time in church. Oh man, a lot of time in church. And I found that statistically, when kids are exposed to church and to the gospel, they tend to respond to it earlier in life. So it's a good thing that you bring kids and encourage them to church. My parents never forced it on me. They wanted me to come to terms with where I am on my faith uh, when it was time, and they wanted me to own my own faith, and I'll always appreciate them for that. My, they never forced me in that way. But I remember, I was about six years old. That's pretty young, right? I was about six years old, and I was sent, sent by my mom, like on the second row, and I remember after my dad had done a message, I don't even remember what it was about, but he did it. I just knew something different in me. I'd heard this in my Sunday school class. I knew that I had never really received Christ. And as young as I was, I felt like that's what I needed to do. And I was ready to do that. And um, somebody says, well, you know, were you too young? Well, I don't think you have to have a PhD in sin to make this decision. <laughs> Everybody comes to terms with it at a different age. And I was pretty young. I, now I've caught up on my sin and since then, but, but at that point I hadn't done a lot. I just remember telling my mom that I, I needed to receive Christ. And so she stepped out, walked to the front. I remember my dad kind of looked down like, what's he done now? <laughs> from that same seat, I shot spitwads at him at one time. So that's, you know, that's why I asked the question. That's a whole other story. So he walks down from the, the, the platform, and, and I told him, I said, I want to accept Jesus. My dad opens his Bible, my mom kneeling on one side of me, my dad on the other side. He goes, son... Here's what you need to always remember. Jesus went to the cross to die for your sin. He rose on Easter, and if you'll invite him into your life, he'll come into your heart, and he'll never leave you, ever. And I did that. I invited him in my heart. And I can tell you, I still, that's been a few years ago, I can still remember the excitement I felt, even that young, at having that connection with my creator. What's my point? My point is when you meet Jesus, it brings an excitement into your life. In Simon Peter, when you, when you look at his conversion, it's an incredible experience. It's in John 1. And in John 1, you have John the Baptist. Remember, he's baptizing on the banks of the Jordan. He looks out and he sees Jesus. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, the reason that was significant is because Jesus had not been recognized before this point. Now we know he came into the world, the shepherds, remember, got the message and worshiped and the wise men shows up and they worship and we know his dad was a carpenter. We know at 12 years old he uh, is confounding the very wise people in the temple. So all of a sudden we don't know much about what happened to him when he became a teenager all the way up until this point in his life when he would have been about 30 years of age. What many believe is his father had died because we don't read much of him. And so Jesus is being raised by a single mom. His dad was a carpenter, so no doubt Jesus picked up the skills of a carpenter and was probably a successful businessman because for the three-year ministry that he had, he wasn't really bivocational. He had some resources that he could devote himself fully to the ministry God had called him to. And he had some resources to manage because one of the 12 was a treasurer, and you don't have a treasurer if you don't have resources. 
So I'm just saying all these little practical factoids we're aware of, but the point I don't want you to miss is all during that zone from 12 to about 30, he just lives in anonymity. Nobody knew who he was, what he did. He's there at the baptism watching John baptize, and until John recognizes him, nobody knew who he was. John says, there's God's lamb, there's the Messiah. This is the one that's gonna be the sacrifice that will end all sacrifices, all heads snap and turn to Jesus. And from that moment, Jesus jumps on the pages of history. John's disciples and followers decrease, Jesus' followers increase, and the ministry of Jesus is launched. Now say all that to say this, there was somebody in the audience that day who was impacted by the message of John, his name was Andrew. And Andrew was so excited in realizing Jesus is the Messiah. He is here. The one we've been looking for all this time is here. And what was the first thing Andrew does when you read the latter part of John 1 is he immediately thought about his brother who was, did not know Jesus, who was looking for the Messiah. Now, I want you to track with me because this new excitement brought about a new interest in other people who did not know Jesus knowing him. The natural response of Andrew when he connected with Jesus, when he embraced him as Messiah, the, the, the knee-jerk response to Andrew was, I want my brother to know Jesus. I want my brother to know what I know. I want my brother to discover what I've discovered. I want my brother to experience what I've experienced. Let's broaden the lens out. How is it a church has that kind of heart for our brothers and sisters who don't know Jesus? It's not through manipulation. It's not through guilt. You know what it is? It's when the heart is in the right relationship with the Father. The natural result of that heart being in the right relationship with the Father is we naturally care about our neighbor. When I love God, I love my neighbor. Andrew connected with his creator and the first thing he wanted to do is see his brother come to faith. And he goes and gets him and he says, Andrew, you gotta come meet Jesus. He did. And man, when you follow the life of Simon Peter, what an uh, uh, what a incredible life he lived. And tens of thousands of people came to faith. And all it goes back to the fact that his brother loved God and wanted to see his brother, Simon Peter, experience the same thing. You see, the way a church becomes evangelistic is when we renew our love. Because when you renew your love, you kind of go back to that honeymoon phase of first knowing Jesus, and you go back to that new love experience of being excited about your relationship with him, and the natural result of that is you want people who don't know Jesus to know him. So there was this new, this new excitement that Simon Peter had experienced. But the second really big event that happened in Simon Peter's life will happen in everyone's life who knows Jesus. And that is, number two, he encountered a negative experience. A negative experience. Here's a principle. Anywhere God is at work building, the devil will be at work blasting. Anytime God is working to build someone up, the devil's gonna be at work to tear them down. Now this is particularly true with influencers and leaders. If he can take out 
an influencer, if he can take out a leader, then he can affect all the people. You know, there's a collateral effect that he could. In fact, let me give it to you this way. Whenever uh, Paul was writing about the devil, he said, we're not ignorant of his devices. The devil is not an originalist. He, he will do what he's done. He's not hard to figure out. If you want to know what the devil will do, look and see what he's done in other people's life. It's a tactic. Here's his tactic. It's twofold. Number one, to keep people away from God keep you away from God. And he'll use all kinds of means. He'll, he'll, he'll use things like, oh, I don't go to church because there's too many hypocrites there, right? I always say, oh, come on, one more, you're gonna hurt anything. <laughs> but he'll use that. He'll use other people to be a deterrent. You know, the Bible talks about stumbling blocks and stepping stones. There are people who are stepping stones who help you get across the murky areas, and there are people who are stumbling blocks. You have to get over them to get forward in where you're trying to go. So he'll use other people as a deterrent. He'll use a bad experience in church. In other words, the devil's initial tactic on people is to keep them from ever knowing God. That's what he wants to do. He hides the ball. He doesn't want you to know God. But if you do meet God, you do know him, you are in a relationship with him. Here's the second part of his tactic. He wants to keep you from ever making a difference for God. He doesn't want your life to matter. He wants to keep you confused. He wants to keep you not on the field advancing the cause. He wants to put you on the bench or in the stands. That's a tactic. And what he will use are the negative experiences that happen in our lives. I've said before, what you go through in life will either draw you closer to God or drive you away from God. And the devil doesn't care if it's legitimate or it's perceived, just so the end result is I either keep you away from God or I keep you from making a difference for God. And it happens to all of us. That great theologian, Mike Tyson, <laughs> said on one occasion, everybody has a plan till they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> you know, that happens to Christians. We say, man, I tell you, I, I, I'm going to be, remember, Simon Peter was the one when Jesus was saying it's, it's going to go bad. In fact, in Matthew, he said the shepherd will get smitten and the sheep will scatter. There's about to be a bad thing that's going to hit your world, boys. You need to know that. And Simon Peter said, Jesus, if everybody else leaves you, I'm not going anywhere. He was the first one out the door. You know what happened? He got hit in the mouth. Not literally, metaphorically. Let me tell you what happened to him. He had left everything to follow Jesus. You remember back there that new excitement and he was so happy about his relationship. Jesus said to Simon Peter, by the way, he was a successful fisherman. He and Andrew, their father, Zebedee, he had a fishing business. In fact, in fact read Mark 1 verse 20, they had people that worked for him. They, they were commercial fishermen. And, and Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So he moves him away from his profession into a new ministry, and so he completely changes everything about his life, and so all of a sudden, this man that, that Simon Peter had sold out his part of the business, had left everything to follow Jesus, now he's finding out this guy's going to the cross. I mean, he had to be thinking, what, what, what are we doing here? This is not the life I signed on for. This is not how I thought this was going to end up. I mean, I read Isaiah 9. I mean, we celebrated a few weeks ago at Christmas. Uh, this child was born, and he was wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, and the government was supposed to be on his shoulders. 
He was supposed to overthrow that wicked, oppressive government. He was supposed to be the one to deal with these crooked, terrible politicians. He's the one that was supposed to fix all the inequities in society. He was going to right all the wrongs. He was going to do these incredible things. He was going to usher in heaven on earth, and Simon Peter signed on to the agenda. And what he didn't realize is that the first coming of Jesus would mean he would suffer and die, and the second coming of Jesus would mean he will rule and reign. He messed up his theology. And can I tell you, that's usually where we get punched in the face, is when we misunderstand God. When he doesn't do what we thought he would do, the way he, we thought he would do it, when he thought he would do it, I don't care how strong your theology is, it can rock your theology when you get punched in the face with that. I've told you the struggles that I've gone through when Cindy went to heaven. I've told you the, the fact that it's not a matter of do you have enough faith to be healed. Let me ask you this, do you have enough faith not to be healed? What if God tells you no? And I'm just saying, man, when you get punched in the face like that and you're not understanding what God is doing because he seldom explains himself. <laughs> and when you're in that zone and you hit that crossroad, it's right where Simon Peter was. He's saying, this doesn't make sense. And read John 21. You know what John 21 says? Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. Now, that didn't mean literally he was going to go start throwing nets and baiting hooks. What he, what he was saying is, get this, I'm going back to do what I did before I ever met Jesus. Remember, he was a commercial fisherman. I'm done. I'm done with church. I'm done with the Bible. I'm done with prayer. I'm done with people who claim to know God. I, I'm done with it. I'm walking away. I'm out. That's what he did. And can I tell you, I'm not hard on anybody that hits that crossroads and makes those decisions. I'm saying I understand that. I've told you a lot of times, I resigned a lot of times, I just didn't tell anybody. I'm just saying I understand how people can walk away from church and how they can give up on, I, I get that. Nobody's here to judge it. I'm just saying I, I get you people, I get that. I understand that, and I don't think you get punched in the face, you do. But I do. And so that's what he did. He just said, yo, I, I can't do this. The prophet Jeremiah got to a point in his life where Jeremiah, the prophet, said, I'll never speak of him again. Done. He was so upset at God. God didn't do what he thought he would do and the way he would do it and didn't explain himself and didn't seem to care the devastation that it had created in Jeremiah's life. He just said, I'm done. That's where Simon Peter was. And you know what? God let him go. He let you go too. He let him go. He let him walk away. God didn't reach down out of heaven and go, no, you're not going to do it. You stay here, my boy. No, he said, no, you're mad. You're upset. You want to go fishing? Okay. But when you keep reading in John 21, and this is the part I wanted to share with you before we go home, he has what I'm calling a necessary encounter. And if our love is going to be renewed, when the negative experience hits our life, there's an encounter with God that we gotta have. And when you read John 21, here's what happened. Jesus shows up. Simon Peter's out on the boat fishing. Jesus shows up. You know what that tells me? That tells me God knew exactly where he was. He knew exactly what he was going through. 
In fact, in Matthew, the Bible says Jesus is the good shepherd. Do you know what it says about him? He will leave the 90 and 9 to go after the one. That's why it's no accident you're in the room this morning and those of you watching, someone is that one that your heavenly father has never given up on you. He never writes you off. He never says, I'm so disappointed in you. I'm done with you. I forget about, remember Hebrews 13, I will never leave you or forsake you. Remember that one? Simon Peter was finding out the reality of that promise. You know what Jesus did when he showed up on the shoreline? He calls out to Simon Peter and he asks him this question, have you caught anything? <laughs> I'm not a big fisherman and when I go, I'm not a good fisherman, but I, I, I can tell you if you haven't caught anything, the last question you want to get asked is, have you caught anything? I mean, you're already frustrated. And so he calls out, but listen, he was asking him on a deeper level. He, he wasn't just wondering, you know, how are you doing? Have you caught fish? He, he, here's what Jesus was asking him. He was asking him this question. You walked away because you said you wanted to do that, and I let you. You're not close to me. We're not in fellowship now. You, you probably don't even know where your Bible is. You can't remember the last time you prayed. Church is not on, even on the radar. You, you're, you're way out here, and God says, I let But listen, here, here's the question. Are you happy? How's that working for you? I mean, you've walked away from God. You said this is what you needed to do and this is what you want to do, and he let you. But at the end of the day, you have to have that moment where you evaluate and assess, and you say, I, I'm, I'm really, no. Simon Peter says, no. You know what Jesus said? Come to the shore. And Simon Peter knew it was him because he recognized his voice. You know what the Bible says about Jesus? My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. Years ago, Cindy and I were in the Holy Land and we observed these thousands of sheep that just these different shepherds had come together to hang out for a little while and their sheep had just kind of intermingled within all, you know, down in this valley. And I thought, how in the world? When those guys break that, how are they gonna tell whose sheep goes to what shepherd? And of course, our guide kind of figured we were curious about that. He goes, you're probably wondering. <laughs> When these guys break up, how are they going? They're not branded, they're not on leash, you know, they're a bunch of sheep. He says, just watch this in a little while and you'll see how it works. A little while, the guys kind of wrapped up their visit and one of them had a little wooden flute and he began to play his flute as he walked away and as he was playing his flute, the sheep began to kind of pull out of the flock and began to follow that shepherd. Another shepherd walked a different way and he began to sing and he would look over his shoulder and sing back toward the flock of sheep. And those sheep began to peel out of the bigger flock to follow after. And our guide said, all of those sheep know the voice of their shepherd. They hear his voice and they follow him. Simon Peter was cold and wet and tired and bitter and angry, but he heard the voice of his shepherd. You know what Jesus didn't say? He didn't say, you moron, what were you thinking? I just went to the cross for you, and this is the thanks I get? He didn't say that. No, we had, we, that's how we do it at the church. <laughs> that's the point of a church, right? I'm saying that facetiously. That's our job. Our job is to make you feel worse when you leave than when you came. We want you to come in here and hear a message and limp out of here going, thank you, preacher, can I have another? That hurts so bad. Thank you for that message. Now look, I understand sometimes before God can put certain people over, he has to put them under, but that needs to be the work of the Holy Spirit, not the motive of the pastor. 
I'm just picking on my profession for a minute because I have to follow the elephant with a shovel so much of my life. So I'm just suggesting to you that my job is to tell you, according to Romans 8, you are more than a conqueror, and in all these things, you can be victorious in the middle of it. And so I'm suggesting to you that Jesus did not go off on Simon Peter. He, he, he didn't need that. That's not what Simon Peter needed. His heart was broken. He was disappointed in God. He didn't understand why the things that happened to him had happened that way. And God loved him enough to give him that much slack to say, I get you. I get that. He said, son, you're tired. You need to rest. You're hungry. You need to eat. You're thirsty. You need something to drink. And after Simon Peter had a chance to collect himself, and kind of get reconnected with Jesus there on the shore. You know what Jesus said to him? I'll just kind of summarize it. He said, you know why you walked away when you got hit in the face? He said, it's because your heart had gotten cold. Three times Jesus says, do you love me? Do you love me? You know what he was saying to him? He was saying that even when you went through that negative experience, if your heart had been warm, if your heart, you, you would have weathered it differently. But because your heart was cold to begin with, the devil exploited you. He saw this as a good time to punch you in the face because you're already down. And so he hits you, and it was so easy for you at that moment to walk away. And once Simon Peter is able to connect the dots, you know what he said to Jesus? He said, you know me better than anyone, Lord. You know that I love you. And can I tell you, in that moment, there was repentance. In that moment, there was a return to God. In that moment, fellowship with Jesus was restored, and Simon Peter's life was never the same. Turn your page, a few pages over from uh, John 21, and he's preaching on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people get saved. The Holy Spirit descends, and the church extends, and Simon Peter is responsible for tens of thousands of people knowing Jesus. You know what it all went back to? It all went back to a little encounter he had with Jesus. When he came to that epiphany, this ain't working for me. I need to restore my love for my Savior. And when he did that, it changed everything else. So I say to you who are part of this church family, we have a heart to help people. But we'll never be able to do that if we don't renew our love for our Savior. And when we love him, we'll love who he loves, and he loves everybody. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it never returns void. I pray for those who know you as Savior, but many of them may be that one that's hurting, that's walked away. May this be the moment when they renew their fellowship with you. When they pray as David prayed and say, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. God, I want my joy back. I want to return to that early experience where I first met you. I want my passion back. Father, help my heart to be in the right relationship with you. Forgive me of the distance that is between us. I want to renew today my love for you. And Father, if there's one watching or one in the room who've never trusted you as Savior, I pray this might be the moment when they swallow their pride and humble their heart and simply say, Lord, with all that I know about me, I trust all that I know about you. 
Come into my heart and forgive my sin. Be a reality in me is my prayer. And this I'll ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.